0: The show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. We have a very lovely guest today, Carrie Ann Powell. And for those who don't know who this wonderful woman is, she has varied experience of over 20 years as a Washington, D.C. attorney, lobbyist, and fundraiser positions. And fundraiser, as she's an authority of what it takes to strategically succeed while confronting difficult obstacles. After raising $120 million to build the Martin Luther King Memorial, she launched her strategic business and consulting firm, Trafalgar Strategies. She and her team advise business owners from various industries and countries on creating the strategies, systems, and mindsets to thrive in business and in life. She's committed to spreading the gospel that running a small and medium-sized business is vital and important to our economies, yet it doesn't have to feel like trying to manage a chaotic tornado. As business owners can run their businesses smoothly and feel confident that they will thrive, we have the wonderful Carrie Ann. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Andrew, my man, thanks for having me on.
0: Yes. So the first question we want to ask is what's the biggest and best business deal you are most proud of? And love to hear that.
1: Well, you know, I've had some really great, fun, amazing things that have happened to me, particularly in my business at Trafalgar Strategies. But still, it remains the most rewarding thing that I've done was uh, raising that $120 million to build the Martin Luther King Memorial. Every time I see someone post a picture, on social media, it just makes my heart go pitter patter and leaps to joy. So that's what I would say.
0: <laughs> and that's the memorial that uh, everyone recognizes, huh?
1: <laughs> yes, in Washington, right there on the National Mall.
0: Wow, that, that's incredible. So, let, have let's, you been uh,
1: able to be there to visit?
0: Yeah, I have. Yes. No, it's, uh, I forget. Um, well, it's, I don't, I don't forget. Yeah. So we went there for DC for, uh, my, my wife, Alicia, she had a show over there mm-hmm. and we got to everything. And I remember riding by my bike and going, Oh, this is so cool. And, uh, other people were there on their bikes too. And, uh, it, it's how big it is too. It's is
1: just, massive. It's 30 feet.
0: 30 feet. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yeah. the fact that you you were a part of that. And that's going to be there probably forever and ever, hopefully. So yeah, that is so it legendary. really is something
1: that I'm quite proud of. And I mean, I've got some really great shots. It just so happened when they were building it, um, you know, so it's sort of built. Many people don't know this, but it's actually cut in different chunks. So it was built almost like a puzzle or something because it's just too big to to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when they were raising the arms which is the part where his arms are sort of like you know crossed it's like the biggest part of the memorial and just so happened i was touring a couple of um prospective million dollar donors down there that day and they were lifting it up that day so i have these great photographs of myself standing right by the arm and standing you know when they were raising it it's such a great memory
0: (laughs) oh that is so awesome and i'm sure for the audience tuning in they're like well, how the heck do I raise $120 million for anything ever? <laughs> so yeah. I'd love for you to take us back in the journey because obviously you didn't come out of the womb going, oh, I'm going to raise $120 million raise it. for." <laughs> 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 and we'll okay, give memorial. How, how did this all come to be? Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, Well,
1: you know, I cut my teeth right after college. You know, I was I was planning on going to med school and um, I decided I didn't really want to do that. One, because, well, I didn't do very well in physics. Hello. I don't know how those people do that thing. <laughs> But, um, so I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do after college, um, after, you know, having spent all that time thinking I was going to, um, become a doctor. So, you know, I said, okay, well, one of my good friends, she got, um, a job working for the United Way, which is, I mean, for, for those of you who don't, who are maybe international audiences, it's a very large, uh, fundraising organization that helps great charities. And, but it's basically helps uh, folks who are working in corporate to be able to contribute through their payroll. Anyway. So, you know, one of my good friends was like, hey, I've got this job um, working at at the at United Way, and they're looking for someone to come in and do full-time work, but only for half of the year during their campaign season. I said, okay, I'll do that. I went and did that while I was trying to process, you know, okay, what's my next step? And um, I was probably, I was thinking about heading to, um, to to graduate school afterwards. Well, anyway, I got the job and I basically from there um was able to get get become a, di- a division director and um which was a fundraising director and i was the youngest one to be hired for that role wow. anyway I did that for a number of three, for three years. And I just learned how to fundraise large amounts of money by, you know, observing, by doing, by watching, by, you know, just, you know. So anyway, any, after that, I went to law school, became a lobbyist, blah, blah, blah. What
0: what was that first uh, moment where you're like, what the heck? How did this person raise X amount of dollars just by doing X? Like, what what was that? You know, it's
1: interesting. It's just a skill and people do this in their business as well. It's the capacity to be able to, first of all, Really believe in what it is that you are selling. And selling is everyone gets, I don't know why people get weird about selling. Nothing happens in life until you sell something, right? So yeah. whether it's 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 the ideal of you know selling a uh particular um ideal that you have, whether for the game menor- the memorial is I believe in freedom and justice and I want there to be something there to, to stand for my ideals, or it could be a situation where you're selling a product. But either way, being able to understand and help someone, first, you've got to believe in it. Then, so if you don't believe in your product, I don't, I can't help you there. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then being able to sort of understand where the, the, the customer or the person on the other side is, is coming from, what do they really want? What are their, what are their desires? So, you know, if you're telling someone, Hey, you know, we'd love for you to purchase this product just because you think they should purchase this product because there's a, because the reason why, so say for instance, it's a dog product, it's a pet product. And you're like, you know, you should purchase a product because it's healthier for your pet. Or maybe the real issue for them is, well, I've just tried everything else and I'm just kind of tired of, you know, I want to save money. You figure out what the reason is why someone wants to purchase or wants to give. And you, you present them with that opportunity based on what their desires are, not what you think, right? So I learned, I watched, I watched people, particularly, you know, I was paired, how you work, how this particular process would work is we were paired with citizen volunteers. So they were always CEOs of major corporations in our city. And so so that was another thing too. I got a chance to really kind of bond and build relationships with CEOs of of large corporations. And so they're on our board and they're on, you know, so then I was paired with them and we would go in meetings together. And, you know, I was like 21 at the time, right? So I don't really know. I'm like, you know, when you're 21, all you have is full of confidence. You don't have anything else but confidence. Yeah. But I went in because I was eager to learn. And so I really sat back and watched a bit about how they interacted with their peers, the kinds of questions that they asked, the the way that they the cadence, right? Of how do you when do you pause? When do you stop? When do you go faster? When do you slow down? And I would just really watched it. And I was like, okay, well, that's clearly a pattern. And you also began, I was lucky because I was not just with one particular CEO, I was with a couple others. So I was able to see how different styles play themselves out as well. And from there, I just really got really comfortable asking for very large sums of money. And, you know, as time went on,
0: Tell was that journey. Like I remember, as a coach, when I first uh, asked a client for a thousand dollars, I'm like, "Oh, geez, I hope he has not shut me down." And but when you get that first yes, it's like, "Oh my gosh, this could actually work." <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, no,
1: I think you see wor- the world through the lens, right, of how you what you've seen. That's why it's a, that's why representation really matters, and giving people opportunities. To see things other than how they grow up. Because if you've only, if, if in your world, a hundred bucks is a lot of money and it's, and it is a lot of money. So I'm not poo pooing it. But if that's where the, the ceiling is for you, then to ask for a thousand is like, whoa, well, you know, if your world is a thousand is, you know, about where you're comfortable with, then asking for five thousand or ten thousand is a bit. So, but I, but I think it's important for people to realize that money, it's a, money is a, is, is sort of, it's energy. It is, it's not really the money because it's printed on paper. So it's really more the value. What is the value to the person with whom you're speaking to and what you're offering and being able to get past the idea of, oh, it's a thousand. It's kind of like, you know, women, women. There's like, they, we have outfits, then all these designers make all these clothes and they'll say, oh, this is a size six and this is a size 10. So you want to feel like, okay, well, I want to wear a size six because society says that. But if different designers have different measurements for different sizes and you feel like, oh, wait, I want to wear a size six, but this actually fits me and, and size eight is better. It's the same thing with money. It's it's not really a thing. A, clothing size is not really a thing it's more you know money really isn't a thing unless you are tied to the number but if you tie what you're doing to the value the value to the of the parts of the value not the value that you hold but the value that the person you're having the conversation around it's easier to get past the oh i'm asking for a million dollars or i'm asking for 100 dollars it becomes yeah. a little bit more um elastic so you so that's why I started with you have to believe in the thing that you are offering because if you don't think it's valuable, then there's no way you can form your lips to say, "You know, give me two million dollars to to support this." but if you believe in it and you know, and if in a product case, if you really believe in what it is that you're offering and you know that if you if that person were to get it, it would really impact their lives, it also takes you out of the the selfishness. We're really very self-centered in, in many ways. And so we're always thinking, oh, they're rejecting me or, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot for opening my mouth to ask for that amount. But if you can put yourself in the posture of, I care about this person that's across the table from me, or really the person better to sit in that you're sitting next to or whatever. And you know that their needs would be served by the thing that you are offering It would be self, selfish to not offer it, right? It's, it's a different mindset where you're like, Oh, I'm going to be scared for saying, for asking that amount or pricing that amount or, or I'm going to be rejected from it. And, you know, obviously if you're doing, if your business is in, um, you know, a SaaS company, so you don't actually see the person, but still you know the value that you're going to be offering to the customer. So it's easier to, to ask. And that's really what did I, that's how I was able to get past it was really the idea of sitting down and watching how people would be like, yeah, you know, definitely we're going to give, we're going to donate this amount of money and we're going to definitely give an opportunity for our staff to be able to donate. And the more and more I was able to ask for larger and larger amounts, the more I was promoted. (laughs) And then the more, then, then by the time, you know, I was really comfortable. The memorial came about and, you know, we had larger amounts to ask for.
0: Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and I'm curious, too. So obviously, $120 million is, is a lot of money. And obviously, so it sounds like my guess is if you're in D.C., um, companies, they want to find the right organization to give money to anyway. Like, uh, so you're, you're not asking them to pull it, quote unquote, out of their own pocket. Like, this is money that they're going to choose between either your memorial or another project to give money to, right? Is is that kind of how that works?
1: Right, right. So, um when it comes to charitable giving for corporations, there is sort of a, a practice called corporate social responsibility. And so, you know, something to think about when one if your if your audience is entrepreneurial, they're building their business, they need to be thinking about what their CSR policy is going to be. Yeah. Um, you can't just exist CSR in the world Corporate social responsibility. Ah, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if you're building a business, the, you know, there, you should have some thought process as you scale and grow as to what do, what, what do we believe in here at this company and what causes will we be supporting? And that is sometimes aligned with a product that you, that you, that you sell. It's mm-hmm. sometimes aligned with the types of customers that buy from you. So for instance, you know, you've got say, uh, Talbot's, uh, clothing store, right? I don't know if you're not familiar with Talbot's. It's primarily geared towards, you know, more middle-aged, uh, women, mm-hmm. but it's, it's women. And yeah. so they, they support causes that women are interested, that wouldn't be more interested in. I think if you have, you know, like Dove, a Dove is a really strong prime example. Dove, uh, soap, they primarily work on causes to, um, that support women's well being and feeling beautiful and and in their, their selves, okay you look at something like there's this great company out there that sells engines and they support i know it's they have this great video um youtube channel and everything and they support um no they no they actually are an insurance company for uh cars that are like higher you know engines whatever, and they yeah. do a whole thing around racing and those kinds of things so Most companies will have a CSR, uh, component that where they are supporting causes in their communities that will, uh, that will represent their customer base, their employee base or what they are and so forth. So yes, the answer to answer your question is most companies do give out a large sum of money and the larger they are, the more they give. And of course, there can be some cynicism. You know, people will talk, be cynical and like, well, you know, they're only giving a little bit compared to like, okay, fine. Yes, that's a different conversation. But the companies that are giving a lot of money out there are are making impacts. So to answer your question, yes, if you're doing corporate fundraising, they are taking money out of a bucket that they would normally be giving. However, there's this type of a project, meaning sort of like, a, it's called a, something like a capital campaign, something that's not a cause that is directly related to human, to like, you know, say, it's a building, it's a, it's, it's a structure, it's a memorial. So that's a little bit different than giving to the dress for success charity, for instance, right? Mm. Cause that's a different conversation. So those kinds of fundraising efforts are way more complicated because it's difficult to say, how is a memorial helping?
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's a different, if it's a different kind of an ask, it's a different kind of a, conversation. And it takes way more cultivation of a donor to get that. And I think that's probably the same for businesses that have a product that's a little bit less necessary, right? So of course, if you are selling diapers to, to parents, that's an easier product to sell than if you were selling some, you know, highfalutin, um, I don't know, brain activity uh, thing to stimulate children to think in the womb, right? It's a different cell. So it's, it's kind of like the vitamin versus the, the painkiller kind of a, a cell. So when, you're ta- when you start selling things that are more vitamin-y versus painkiller-y, you want to be thinking about how, you, how you're conversing, how you're talking about it, how you're messaging it and frankly i find that those are longer sales uh cycles
0: no, I, I like that the the phrasing of things is but, but i'd say with a, a good sales model you should be able to turn your product into a painkiller no matter what product it is like like it shouldn't just be a vitamin like if you're not taking mm-hmm. these vitamins you <laughs> could lose your you could decrease your lifespan by 10 years or something like that <laughs> yeah uh, and so, so that's a good point too cuz i think it's a good practice so as entrepreneurs so When you're selling the memorial, like you said, like you had to find the, uh, why should they donate to the memorial instead of other things? So how did you? phrase it in a way that they go oh take my money definitely like i feel like if i was a salesperson i'd go <laughs> yeah. every other company in dc is donating to this memorial if you yeah. don't you're gonna look bad but i'm curious <laughs> But wait. well there was baseball. a little of that
1: kind of conversation <laughs> and, and this was i mean obviously this was a uh, an international project so it wasn't just dc companies okay. and it wasn't just companies it was very you know wealthy individuals as well mm-hmm. as foundations however you know one of the funniest thing was i and i and i won't put the name but there was a a healthcare company that was uh that gave us um it was, a, it was a pretty good hefty chunk. I think maybe about half a million. And
0: was that the one biggest the asks donation?
1: was what was oh. that?
0: What was the biggest donation out of the 120 million?
1: Oh um, yeah. 10, we we had 10 million from GM.
0: Nice. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so um so yeah, so this this company, you know, truth be told, they had already agreed to um to give the gift. So that's also to some, some elements there. There's some agreement there, but they still need to walk through the process. So I, my, my team had to fill out the, uh, the grant request, even though there was some verbal agreements there, but one of the questions were their big, this is an example. Their big cause was they supported children that suffered from spina bifida, which Mm -hmm. is a very, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real hard disease for children to, um, to experience. And that was their big thing that they did a lot of work around that and providing and supporting children. So one of the questions that they asked in the grant was how does building the memorial help and support children with spina bifida? I mean, I remember thinking, really? So let's bring my fundraising salesy, you know, set here to play, you know, and you know, one of the things that I said, and it wasn't me being, you know, cheeky or or disingenuous. I said, you know, look, Dr. King had uh this amazing capacity to do things even within the realms of his own challenges. And yet, and and so, you know, here it is that if someone who from a child who has spina bifida is able to go to the memorial, learn the story, see this, and they're like, Well, if Dr. King could do this, I can do it too, right? So it is, it, it is a way of being able to think about, and I did that. And I said that not, not being at all disingenuous. I really believed that. And, and you know, I had my team create that and write that. And obviously we were going to get the gift. I, I assume, you know, anyway, but it was something that was truthful. When you're thinking about your product, you start talking, you know, Andrew, about the idea of vitamin versus painkiller. If you don't believe it, if, and that goes back, if you don't believe what you're selling, just don't sell it. Because if but you if you can really believe it and see this is how it's gonna serve people, you would be surprised at how you can begin to see how it can be, you know, a painkiller. Because you believe that to be true.
0: No, I, lo- I love that. Mm-hmm. And uh and I love the the passion you bring to and the enthusiasm you bring to have people believe in their products. So what what is I guess uh we can talk like a logistical and an like I guess emotional or uh just like a spiritual hype Mm -hmm. that you would give to someone if you what do you tell business owners to have help them believe in their products more i guess is the question i want to get to
1: well that there is an internal game andrew you know i get it look you know a company is created for the purpose of generating value value to all the stakeholders the owners the investors the customers the employees right we get that, and there's sort of perceived value, and then there's real value. So that's the purpose of uh, of, a, of a company. At the same time, though, so I'm not saying that you know if if there's a need out there and you have it. I remember there's um God, there's a there's a, a one of those sort of business gurus out there, and I heard him say, "You know what, businesses is? business is going to a customer, going to someone." Asking them what they need, going and getting it, and then giving it to them.
0: <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's not
1: that complicated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I recognize that there might be some things that you, so if you're, so say for instance, you're in the business of, uh, you yeah. know, I've noticed a lot of folks will start their entrepreneurial journey by, say, doing um, a vending machine, for instance. Okay. And what do you have in the vending machine? You know, if you're not going to be like one of those fancy vending machines where you're like, you know, selling like, you know, champagne or whatever. they yeah, exist
0: apparently. fancy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> apparently they exist. Mm-hmm. But like if you're just going to have like, you know, Cheetos and Doritos and whatever, whatever. So you're like, well, how can I get how can I believe in my product for the for the, the chips? I mean, it's just everyone gets can find Cheetos anywhere. Well, the question on the table is, who are you serving? Because oftentimes I know like whenever I'm getting something out of a vending machine, it's usually because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, you know, you're, you're a college kid and you're, you know, you have your class in the, whatever at, at you know, seven o'clock at night, you didn't get a chance to eat and you're going to like, you know, you're, you're growling and you need something to just tide you over for the class until you head back to the dorms or something. Right. Well, you know, if you're, if there's a vending machine and there's like water in there or soda, you, you might be. You know, coming from the gym, the vending machines in the gym, where you can sort of get your little water bottle and call it a day. Okay. Maybe you don't believe in the product, but you believe in the people that you are servicing and giving them some conveniences. That's where I'm saying is, it's an internal game. I can't help you if you don't believe in your product, but at the same time, I can't help you begin to think about how you are servicing them in, 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 in a way that gets you excited about it. And And so once you kind of are there, then you kind of think, okay, now that I know what it is that makes me passionate about, and it could be just the passion of doing business, right? I'm an entrepreneur through and through. I love just doing business. And there are people who just, you know, they don't really care about the product per se, but they love being an entrepreneur. That's what they love. Well, being an entrepreneur is, you know, find the best way to provide the best product, At you know whatever the best price is that's basic for your for your for your um for your market and doing it in a way that's efficient and doing it in a way that allows you to scale. And that's exciting. Whatever it is that gets you excited about it, it allows for you to then show up at a higher standard. Because that's in the end what you're trying to do. It's showing up at a higher standard in everything that you're doing, whether it's your sales or whether it's how you're leading, how you're being a strategic. Uh, planner in your business, how you're leading as a, as a CEO, leading your team, selecting well—it's just getting you enough passion that gets you to show up at a higher standard.
0: I love that. I love that. Just like uh, s- simplifying what business is, understanding that it's okay to like business for the sake of liking business <laughs> too. <laughs> I, I, I like that perspective on things. And and in your speaker sheet too, or your one your one sheet, you talk about preventing chaos in businesses. Uh. So, so tell us more, like once a business knows what they offer, knows who they serve, why they serve it. They like doing it, but then the chaos comes in. How, how do you prevent chaos for businesses?
1: Yeah, I tell you, I often say that sometimes running a business can feel like you're trying to manage this chaotic tornado, right? <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. how do we manage, you know, you've got your cash flow coming here, you know, payroll over here, you've got, you know, inventory. So there's a lot of different things that can come across now. The thing about, um, thing about business is that you are really operating, you know, a true leader is a problem solver. There are things that are come at and, and, and then you need to manage that. Okay. And different stages of business present different problems. Mm -hmm. And those are normal, normal problems. If you are an early stage, it is all about the cash. It is all about trying to just grow somehow, somewhere. But as you get earlier and you, know, you get older and you, you begin to grow and get in different stages of your business, there are other problems that are also normal problems. Okay. But then there are abnormal problems. Those problems are the problems that are going to eat you alive. And it's going to bring you down the business down. One of the main ones, so there's four that I find are sort of I call them symptoms of chaos, right because people are like, "Oh no, that's the chaos, no, 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 that's the symptom. There's yeah. a bigger issue underlying this so the the four big ones that I have found is cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, running out of Probably. cash, mm-hmm. too much negative cash flow it's not working right, and yep. it is Andrew, you'd be so surprised when people are just like, "Oh, yeah, you know, I've been having this cash flow problem since I started the business, really, that is not okay." It is the number one reason why business fails because they run out of cash. Yeah, eighty percent of businesses that fail fail because they run out of cash.
0: What, so what, business, if, what other reasons do they fail? Just think lawsuits or like I feel like if you have cash, it's hard to fail as a business. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the second one, one of the second ones is that it's a it's um it's a product market fit issue, right? The product they they cannot grow, they cannot scale because the product might be good for this amount, but it can't go this big. So now you're stuck with a small, you can't grow. So you may have a lot of cash coming in, but you can't grow because you're stuck at a certain level of number of customers that you can sell to because it was just so small. Interesting. And that's the The second reason. The third one is you can't build a team, a very good team. There's something Mm -hmm. wrong with your team. Either you're I, what I found is that it's really because people started early days. They built a team because it was sort of a hodgepodgey thing, which is fine. Again, that's a normal problem for an early days. But if you're not early in the game, begin to say, okay, looking at this business and figuring out what are the roles that need to actually happen to build this business? Who needs to, what type of skill set needs to be in that particular business? What kind of person needs to be in that chair and hiring them accordingly? In the end, I cannot tell you, I I have been brought into business. It's been a while, been in for a while. Of course, you know, because you have an employee that's been there for a while. You got loyalty stuff happening. You do not want to let them go. But it is wreaking havoc in the company, causing all kinds of pain and creating toxic environments. That is a huge, the third reason why businesses fail because of a team problem. And you know the mm-hmm. fourth one is burnout. They're wearing oh. way too many hats. They they can't walk away from the business without feeling like it's going to implode and then burnout. That's the fourth reason. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it, so cash flow, product market fit, team, burnout. So one of the first ways to helping Identify and preventing the chaos is recognizing what's holding your team back the most, sounds like.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you're feeling like if those things are popping up and they're persistent, again, you know, okay, fine. You know, you've got a situation where, you know, you know, you, you can't delegate comfortably, but you figured a way to fix it. That's a normal problem. But if you're persistently unable to get your team to, to, to function, if you're consistently having toxic situation, if you're consistently unable to move things forward, then that's a problem. You need to pay attention to it. So it's about, it's, it's persistence. It's, it's how grave is the problem. And, mm-hmm. you know, okay, maybe you might've, you know, missed the bill. You know, maybe you had to reach out to one of your vendors this month and say, Hey, can we push the bill back this month? Because, you know, cash flow is a bit weird, I'm, but I'm going to have a new, a new shipment in or a new particular uh, client is going to be coming in. That's a different conversation than every single month you're like on pins and needles and can't hit payroll. So I think it's really important to, like, once you begin to see these things creeping over into problems that are persistent in the business, then one must stop and begin to assess what the underlying problem is, because those, again, are the symptoms. Because, for instance, you may have a cash flow problem, Andrew, and you think, well, it's a sales problem. Everyone assumes, oh, I didn't sell more. Okay, because well, that's the logical connection. But what it might be that the business model that you have built your company on doesn't work or cannot work for what it is you need it to do right now. So it's a it's more along the lines of saying, I've got this problem. I can assume it might be a sales problem, but what else could it be? Yeah. What else could mm-hmm. it be? And then you keep asking the question, what else could it be? Until you begin to do some work around and, and, you know, take you know, do one step at a time. You can't do a whole big chunk. If all the things are red, you know, red, 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 just close your eyes and focus on one because you just can't focus on them all. But in the end, you're trying to get to the core, core problem and be able to then fix that, not hit it at the top because you'll spend money and time trying to hit it at the top and it actually not, the, not be the thing.
0: No, I I love that advice about things. Um, and I'm curious too. So uh, you use myself as an example. What's another client example you've worked with where you're proud of taking them from A to Z, where they're having cash flow problems? Or like, Carrie Ann, help us! Like, <laughs> tell us like a case study of one of your favorites. Yeah, uh,
1: no, I'm, I'm uh, happy to do that. I love to brag on my clients.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, because you develop a great deal of, of connection with them. So, you know, I had a client. She's um, actually, you know, we talked about Spain. Sme- is her company is um, based out of Spain, but she has um, offices in um, in Latin America, in other parts of Europe, and in the continent of Africa. So wow. this is a, a gaming company. They and so it's regulated, right? So you know, I I think it's really to think about like you can't really when when you have a situation where you have employees in all parts of the world, it's really very common for there to be a disconnect, right? And a situation where you have low morale. So that was one problem. The other problem was they were a regulated company. And so they were having a difficult time during the, you know, the COVID, the, during pandemic around making sure that revenue stayed up because they had some problems there. And so when she started coming, I mean, I'll never forget this. She was sitting, you know, right after the sort of the stay-at-home order, she was like, Carrie Ann, I'm going to have to close. Like, you know, it's, it was that serious and there was tears coming on her eyes. And I mean, there were so many tears during the early stages of it. I mean, I'm sure you probably had a great deal of your friends and, you know, just the tears. (laughs) And, um, and, and so she's like, I'm going to have to close. And, um, and my team, you know, is, is, I don't know how I'm going to be able to, uh, to, to break that to them. Cause she has a number, she had a number of team um, members and, we, I was like, okay, we can sit here and cry about it for a second. And, and that's perfectly fine. We're going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> let it out. Oh, we're let, it let it out. It out. We're going to, <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, so what we're not going to do, what we're not going to do is, what we're not going to do is let this thing go down. Right? And And I think one of the things that we did was first do a full-on strategic plan of the business. Take a look and see, okay, what are the products that are working? Which ones are regulated? Which ones can we not do? Which ones can we do? Which ones are, are, are the most amount of, of product, of profit? Okay. And from there, being able to say, okay, fine. Here's this part here where you can't do. So let's not cry over it anymore. It's a done thing. Okay. But which ways can you begin to implement into your company? What other products can you add? What other ways can you be able to expand that particular product? Or even were there some needs of some of your customers that you never really paid attention to? That now you can, you know, do address now. And so I think from there, we began to kind of figure out strategically what that looks like. And then around the team, it was really, I mean, she, it was a lot of work around building the team, giving them some autonomy, giving them some responsibility, giving them what they needed at the time. I mean, you know, even just, you know, ordering lunch and sending them to, sending them to her home, sending her lunch to their homes on a regular basis you know just to get them realizing that we're all in this together there's some things that we can do that you know and she and as she worked through this over the year not only not only was she able to you know not hit huge markers in i mean huge revenue markers she sticks she stuck around when many in her industry began to fall to go away there are businesses that are no longer around in that industry that she still is. Third, she was able to be voted best company to work for. I know, right? <laughs> she was going to close that company down, Andrew.
0: Oh my <laughs> best God. Best company to
1: work for in her industry, in her country. And also one of the things that she always wanted to do was to be able to have a a, a bonus uh, program where it was based on their, their, um, their performances and based on company performances. And she was able to implement that in... From then on, I cannot tell you like it's just she is now she's expanding into three other countries. I mean, it's just beautiful wow. to watch, it's beautiful to watch, so I'm saying there's a way to do it, and even more at the bottom 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 bottom, bottom, you can get it back up
0: well, the fact <laughs> that uh yeah she's she's a woman in tech too and uh and dominating the space like that, that's awesome, like good for her, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so what about like the cuz it was always the same too like the with the, the cobbler's kids have no shoes and i know it's uh, <laughs> so I'm curious like so tell us more about uh the um, really quick the, the growth of your company and your journey too Like, do you currently have employees and, and tell tell us more about uh, your, your how your company is structured
1: yeah well you know i i will say it's been really a fun journey you know and again i think if your audience is listening <laughs> anyone your audience is listening and they're in the stages of of growing their business or starting. I think the, the, the one lesson I would say around growing a business is recognizing there's various iterations of it. Mm. You know, so I went, I went full-time, full-time in 2014 and it was primarily focusing on consulting with very large NGOs, which, you know, made sense because of, you know, my background and, the, and, yeah. and also my connections. Let's just be frank. And I did that and and I had some really great opportunities and great, uh, and business started growing real fast in that, in that iteration. So I started really bringing on team. But that's when I really, really was like, well, this version of this business is not exactly what I want. One, because it was very similar to the things that I had been able to do in the business prior when I was, you know, early days. And also because I really found myself inching more towards Working with, so, you know, I would be working primarily with board, like boards of directors and, you know, developing strategic. Now, strategy is always my thing. So I'm always going to do it. And that's what I do with, with businesses now. But I really found myself really leaning more towards working directly with the CEOs and really sort of finding out like ways that, you know, strengthen their team, look at sort of the things that are happening in the business as a way to be able to make it work. So anyway, I still did, did I did that for a bit. But then I was slowly getting into like, people were beginning to reach out to me like, hey, Carrie Ann, you know, I've got this um, business that I'm doing and I know you do strategy, you know, can you do the thing? And i like, yeah, come on, you know, whatever. So then I sort of had this mixture of <laughs> different clients. I'm like, yeah. and, then, and then I was like beginning, I realized, well, no, I prefer this than this. So I pivoted. And that's, I think the joy of, of early days of your business where you can pivot, you can move, you can decide how you want to do it. And then I began realizing that, um, cause I, at first I was doing a a bit more of like the coaching versus like, so I do more of a mixture of coaching and strategy than more than strategy. And I realized, yeah, I'm really good at coaching and I can do that. And obviously everything in life is coaching, frankly, to be honest. But at the same time, I really like to work with companies that are building something to last and they really just want strategy work and obviously, you know, have a, have a trusted advisor. So that was kind of how we, how I pivoted. And then from there began saying, okay, if that's what I'm going to be building, then what kind of team do I need to build to make that business work? And also, how do I make sure that it can scale? Because in the end, you know, I don't, you know, if it's growing and growing, that's great and fantastic. But that just means that it's more, more expenses and more of me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. like not mm-hmm. fun. Right. So then, you know, how can I make it scale? How can I do that? And I think in the end was really like, um, you know, bringing other business strategists to work along and sort of be a bench and, um, find ways that we can do it. And so it's really, and really, um, d- distilling down the actual product, making sure that it is, you know, these are the products that we serve, not all these willy nilly things and, you know, all, you know, bringing it. In. So I think that that was kind of the, the growing pains for me because I remember, I mean, cause, you know, I remember my first big, big, huge client. I was like, yeah, bring it on. And I thought that I had really, I thought that I had staffed up well. I thought that I, I was like, "Bring it on!"
0: Yeah, you're re- that you're ready. Yeah.
1: Oh my God, Andrew, such a huge failure. I mean, you know, by the end it, it was like a one, it was a one year engagement, and literally by the time I'm sitting in the end, nobody likes to have a come to Jesus meeting when you're the one being come to Jesus. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: it was that moment when I was just like, mm, I'm never going to be sitting here again. But it did help me realize that I needed to change the, the, the business model, the way I was doing it. Yeah. I did know that's And that's one of the problems with scaling as you grow. One of the biggest things is just scaling too fast. And I realized that I had scaled too fast in that case. And I just couldn't fulfill the client. I just mm-hmm. couldn't fulfill and so Did you have to
0: get a refund, or how how does that work when you're working with a big yeah, corporation well, like that? So
1: the way the contract was structured, I was able to fulfill the basics of the contract. So it wasn't like okay. you know it wasn't like waffle. So I yeah. was able to fulfill the basics of the contract, but the things that there was some, I think that and she was like maybe overpromising on some level. And um, so the things that we thought we were going to be able to, so there was like a sort of a a commission based, uh, element to it as well. So I think, um, so that didn't play out well, but you know, when you start talking to a client, it's not just about, did you deliver? It's also your reputation. It's yeah. also the disappointment to the client who was really, you know, who had to go to bat to, 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 you, to yeah. convince his partners to do it. So it's, it's very much more of just that. So again, look, this happens a lot you know, you over, you scale, you, you scale too fast and then you can't, can't deliver my, and that's one of the things that I always teach is like, okay, scale and growth is really important, but there are some fundamental things that need to happen in the business before you can take on the big, big clients. Right. So like, for instance, one of my clients right now, or or actually uh, we were discussing being a client, but she has this great like pet food thing. Um, it's, it's just, awesome. Like the product is fantastic. It's one of the major retailers out there, which you would know, um, is, um, thinking about wants to bring them, wants to bring the product in-house and wants to bring the product to sell it in their stores. And so, you know, obviously it's a great product. People are buying it direct from direct from the company. And so, yeah, you know, it would really do well. And the branding is very much similar to how the style of that particular retailer is. So it was just sort of like a no brainer, but based on face value. But then, you know, she came to me and she's like, I'm, I'm a bit concerned. Can we, can we take a look at this? You begin to start seeing while she has four suppliers, one based in China, another one based in another part of the world country, and then two local, The the timeline for getting the products to where she needs to be to have the person who assembles it, put it together, And then plus how much money she would need to be upfronting. Okay. To be able to Mm -hmm. get the full products and then get them to the retailer. It was almost a nightmare. It would have been, it would have been a nightmare had she, you know, signed a contract at that time. Now there's some ways to fix it, right? Bring some of the products from China over here. Maybe, maybe purchase more products from China and then have them stored in a storehouse in the U S. But then that means upfront cost. Do you have the cushion in your business to do that? Okay. If you don't have the cushion to do that in your business, then you're kind of, you're, it's a huge risk, which yeah. again, might be a risk that you're willing to take. You just need to assess it and know that that risk exists. Yeah. So there, that's where the conversation is like, yeah, you think, Oh, I'm going to have a great big client. And I'm so excited. It's going to be a lot of cash and it's great opportunity. But in the end, you know, can your company handle more of the fulfillment, more of the products that you're going to need to bring in, the cash flow to make this a really good opportunity? And you don't want to have a conversation <laughs> like my come to Jesus conversation. Yeah,
0: no, but, and it's and uh, it's good that uh, I mean. They say failure is the best teacher. And so it, it's like, and sometimes it takes being there to know, okay, now I know not to do this again. <laughs> not so, doing that.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely yeah.
0: right. And the fact that you're still able to st- stay in business after that, like it's it's good that you didn't get bankrupted and tarnished and uh, yeah. <laughs> dragged you through didn't. the mud because of that. And like you said, mm-hmm. you still delivered, but obviously was it we wanted to, but the fact that you still did your part where you could. So, yeah. um, but I think it's a good learning lesson. And
1: I think too, you know, yeah. Andrew, you, you need to, like, you know, in particularly early days, we, we connect our worth very much to our businesses. Yeah. And true. I just, that would be one lesson that I think I had to kind of come back away from is recognizing that my business is an entity outside of myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt a lot of, I'll be frank. I felt a lot of shame when that happened because you know, I'm a high achiever and I spent a lot of my life connecting to my high achievements. And when that kind of didn't happen, I was just like, you know, like, you know, can I really build a business that's going to last? Um, Maybe I'm maybe I'm like a one hit wonder. I don't know. And so I just I think it's important. to. It's very difficult, but it's important to disconnect and recognize that some of your biggest heroes in business have done have made some huge flops yeah big Mm -hmm. failures and so don't carry that shame around use it to learn use it to say okay this is what we need to be putting into the business to make it work so that doesn't happen again but not carrying the shame or the feelings of somehow I'm not cut out for this or who, are, who was I to go for that big contract, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you needed to go for that big contract so you could learn.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I love this. Yeah, so tell us more like, how, how did you learn how to disassociate your self-worth from your business? Because I agree, it's uh, a lot of people tie their lives to their business and, and, and like they think they have to go hand in hand and I guess sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So tell tell us more how you were able to, um, I guess. It was really that. big
1: because I, I mean, I, I found myself not, not pitching anymore, right. Mm -hmm. Or pitching small. And I, I lost, I lost my con. I caught my confidence. I lost my footing. This was,
0: you said year two or year three of your business since 20. It was year
1: two. It was year two.
0: In 2016, two years after your Mm -hmm. business. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. And I saw so, so yeah, it was, I definitely felt, but then when you start looking at the numbers, I literally, I, I had to have my own come to Jesus conversation and looked in the mirror and said, so, what then? We're just gonna do this hobby then, <laughs> you know? Like yeah. you know, when you, when you back up, you say, "Do you want to do this or not? Is that your plan or not?" And I had to say, "Okay, yes, I'm in it." So then, what does that mean to be in it? What does it really mean? It means I have to get past this feeling of shame and guilt, and I'm not good enough, or you know, I'm never gonna scale. I'm gonna always be small potatoes or whatever the feelings. That were going on there. And then, you know, take myself up a bit and keep moving because entrepreneurship is a bit of a lonely game. Yeah, yeah, you have you can have friends who are entrepreneurs and they, you know, you know, you can kind of pitch and catch and be like, Oh yeah, I'm doing this. But when when you're in it, it's you and <laughs>
0: Well, it's, uh, it's what people sign up for. I think, I think the classic <laughs> joke is, uh, you work 80 hours a week for yourself so that you don't have to work 40 hours a week for someone else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. know, I think, you know, it's the journey of it because at, there's a tipping point you you're doing the things and you're doing the, the right things to the point when at some point, the magic happens and the build and you've built a business that doesn't require you to be in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But early days you are in it and it's difficult to, you're you're facing your demons really at, at some point you're facing the, the, the dark places of the soul, as they say, that says, okay, am I in this? Do I really am going to do this or am I not? Yeah. And, and so, but when you finally decide I'm in it, you get the, you, you say, okay, what, what will I have to do to be able to do this? And that would require you to, to disconnect my, I'm not saying that I'm completely a robot. I'm just doing it, <laughs> but I think I begin to see myself a bit more. It goes back to the selfishness. I was really looking at myself at self-centeredness. I was looking at myself as my business. Whereas I am the caretaker of an entity that creates value for my customers. Yeah. So I might, I might do a thing, I might try a new tech tactic in the business and it's not gonna work. It didn't work. You know, I'll try that and that's fine. I don't have any emotional attachment to it. We tried it, we did it, it doesn't work, okay, move on. Right? Yeah. Because your team doesn't have time for you to be sitting here all navel gazing and, and problem solving, you know, like just looking at things. You got to just decide and move on, decide and move on, decide. And when you, when, when you have this feeling of it's my baby, then you have, it's difficult to, to decide decision. If you're lagging around in decision, like if taking, if making a decision in your business takes a long time, you're, you're looking at the wrong thing. It's, it's, you're being a bit self-centered probably.
0: Yeah. No, I like what you said too. Like the. The kind of the, another way to say, it, like the point of no return, just like deciding like, no, I'm not letting things hold me back anymore and I'm making this work because you know your your services are valuable. They help people and you believe in yourself. You believe in what you have to offer. And so failure is not an option. And so, of course, yeah. you might have to pivot. Burn the boats. Yeah. <laughs> Burn the boats. Yes, exactly. And so I, I, it's a good friendly reminder out there for those listening, just like keep going. Like it, it has to work out. You'll make it work There's people that support you. Um, I know you said entrepreneurship is lonely, but uh, it goes back to, yeah, like it's true, but there's also other groups who feel the same way. And so just like, I'm sure being an alcoholic can feel lonely too, but that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is for. Right, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Entrepreneurs Anonymous. So I I I definitely get you there. I know we've been talking for a while, so I want to wrap up with a few more questions here. So tell us more, since I think this is kind of ties in quickly what are the non-negotiable actions uh, to be successful as an entrepreneur in your opinion?
1: Yeah, yeah that's a good question, Andrew. Um, and it's kind of interesting how that has evolved for me as I have done the work and worked with uh, many, many, many different types of businesses. One thing is there are a lot of things that you can delegate in your business, but one of the things you can't delegate is you're the strategic leader of your business. So being the visionary means understanding that where you want to take this business early, di- you know, you know, I, I love to, to sort of like 20, 20 years out. What is that? What does the vision look like? And you're the person who needs to cast that vision for yourself. If it's just you and, you know, you and your dog are the employees or if it's you and you've got a team of 50, or you've got a team of whatever it, it is, you No one else. Can be that vision caster, but you and the leader of strategy, but you. You also have the full on responsibility of making sure that this company, this entity outside of yourself, which is designed to create value for all of its stakeholders can generate the resources that it's supposed to be period and done. You know, there are lots of things that a business a leader must do in a business. One of which is making sure that you are either creating the environment, pre- providing the tools, bringing in the profit, the people that are supposed to be there to help you build it, hiring the right people, casting the vision, being a good leader. Those are the things that you must do in order to make sure that the entity that we're calling your business is providing, is generating the revenue that it needs to generate and whatever the value is. So those are two things that are non-negotiable. You know, you can decide if you want to be what type of leader you want to be that's fine. Your style of everyone has a different style of leadership. It actually shows, I think it was some study that I read that flamboyant leaders that we always think about as sort of being like, you know, the the, the celebrity uh CEOs, they're actually not the ones that actually make things work. <laughs> like they're not actually the ones that have the most successful companies. So whatever style, if you're an introvert and you're a leader that has a different style, it doesn't really matter your style. Then what matters is, making sure that however it is you're getting to being the vision caster, being the strategic driver in the business, making sure that you are responsible for making sure that the revenue is coming in, whatever that looks like. Those are things that you cannot, cannot miss. So when you think about your time in the business, when you think about your time, what you're spending your time doing, if it's not those two things, if you're not spending most of your time doing those two things that I don't know what to tell you, you know, because yeah. you're not going to get where you want to get there.
0: No, I, I love it. And that was so well said. And for those listening, Carrie Ann's also a speaker, in case you didn't know. <laughs> so uh, definitely bring out her, her speaker knowledge and just o- overall knowledge and uh, so, so many golden nuggets of wisdom has been so incredible. So as we get to the end of the interview here, so tell us, uh, Carrie Ann, you mentioned you wanted to promote a uh, one sheet to the audience.
1: Yeah, well, you know, if, some, if, you're, some, if one of your audience members are, are listening and they're like, Oh my gosh, he's t- stepping on my toes. <laughs> I'm feeling the chaos there. Then I I, I created a a one a, a PDF that I just sort of brain dumped the things that I have found to be the true causes of chaos in businesses. And so I found that there's eight eight true causes that are causing chaos, and it's primarily around small and medium sized businesses. So the eight true um, um, uh, culprits that are causing chaos in your business and it provides you an opportunity to sort of take a look and see, wait a minute. Oh, that's the thing that's causing this chaos. And there are some, some ways in which you begin to, you can address it and fix it. So if that's you, and if you feel as if that, you know, that, that would be helpful for you, it's just my wisdom being put in a book <laughs> based on my experience. And so, um, they can find it at nobusinesschaos.com. So nobusinesschaos.com.
0: Oh, great! Very easy URL. I love it. I'll make sure to put that. No business chaos.com? Yes. No business chaos Oh, that's weird. The www makes a difference. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. I learn something new all the time. Perfect.
1: Well, you know, I'll um, put it. I'll put it in- in our in the link in our conversation. But yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Okay. That's good to know. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So so final two questions, uh, M, how can we best uh, contact you and get a hold of you? Anything else outside of this website?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a real person. <laughs> I love <laughs> connecting.
0: <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> I yeah. I love
1: connecting with other entrepreneurs or people. So, you know, find me on LinkedIn, give me a DM and say hi. I'd really love to connect that way. Obviously, I'm on other other social media uh, places um, at Carrie Ann Powell or Carrie Ann T. Powell. You can also find this on my website at TrafalgarStrategies.co.
0: Perfect. And then uh, the final question of the day is for people listening to this interview, what's the one takeaway you want them to have from what we talked about today?
1: You can build a business, it can thrive, and it doesn't have to feel like you're managing a tornado. There are some normal problems and then there are some abnormal problems. Don't be an ostrich and put your head in the ground and not and ignoring the abnormal problems. Address them. That's business, but address them.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, what a great pep talk. Well, this has been so wonderful, Carrie Ann. Thank you so much for coming on today. Definitely check out her website, www.nobusinesschaos.com. <laughs> And find her on socials and look forward to you all next week for the next episode of Rap Results with Andrew Weiss. And we'll see you all soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks,
1: Andrew. Bye-bye. That concludes another
0: episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.